And uh, I want to welcome our live stream audience that is tuning into this this uh, live stream. And thank you for watching with us. And as we study the Word of God, we're just glad you're there. Uh, I was talking with Steve here and Vicki just before the service began, and both of them are from West Virginia, so they've found each other. They they've, they're they're comrades now. And uh, uh, but Steve was saying how awesome it is when he's, he's only here for a portion of time in the year. But when he's back in West Virginia, he can Wednesday nights just tune right in, you know, the live stream. It's amazing. And, and uh, we have people who, who will listen in from time to time, even from other countries. And it's just a marvelous tool, a technology that, that can spread the gospel. And what, what, what would the Apostle Paul have done with that, huh? Wow. But uh, all right, so we're going to get started this evening, and let's begin with prayer. We're going to re remember Greg Vaffiotti's, Greg and Sue Vaffiotti's. They, they come on Wednesday nights, and they usually sit up in this area, uh, but they're not here this evening because Greg had a procedure performed at Cleveland Clinic, a heart procedure, and we just got word. I think he texted Frank and said, hey, I'm home, and they, they went through the procedure, and he's put all of his trust in the Lord. And uh, so hopefully we'll see him back soon. And uh, Sue is with him, I'm sure, caring for him. And there are many other requests. Always, there's always great needs within a body of our size. And for us to be mindful of that and just to take a moment to pray, even if we don't have specifics of someone, just to pray in general, I, I think it's, it's, it's healthy because it, it takes my mind off of me. It would be easy, easy for any of us to navel gaze, look within, and look at my problems and my weariness and my whatever it might be. And, but when you, when you throw your thoughts on others, all of a sudden, my goodness, uh, some of our problems just kind of dissipate. And, uh, and we, we're also fulfilling the will of God to pray for one another. So let's begin with prayer. Lord, tonight, as we begin, we do thank you for uh, the ability to communicate together and to receive from your word this evening. And we, we also count it a privilege as believers to pray. You're, you're the one that instituted this marvelous uh, tool called prayer. And it is a way to, to reach others and pray for them and care for them and bring their name before you. And we do lift up Greg tonight that you would just come near to him and others in our church body who might have just come through procedures. I know several have had uh, hip replacement surgeries, others facing other types of uh, procedures coming up. We just lift people to you, Lord, in, in, from our body that are in these difficult days. And we pray that you would strengthen them, that you would keep them strong by keeping their eyes on you, because Jesus, you are the author and finisher of our faith. And I pray that, Lord, uh, we would just continually think of how we might minister to other people and not just make our lives about us. And we just give you praise that you designed us as believers to look outward. You, delighted us, you, 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 you created us to look upward. And so I pray that those two things would happen in a marvelous way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, tonight we turn to chapter 14. This is funny. I got to tell you, I got to be honest, okay? You got... As a preacher, you know, sometimes I've said in the past, this, this is the honest truth. Uh, if you're a preacher, you shouldn't have to say that. This is the honest truth. As if, 
as if normally you're not telling the honest truth. So that's not what I mean when I say I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, it's just that it's just that as a preacher, you don't share every truth. Okay, <laughs> there's some truths you keep to yourself. But uh, but so this morning, Deb always reaches out to me if by Wednesday morning I haven't turned into her a teaser, which is just a little blurb about the Wednesday night teaching that goes in the newsletter or goes in, you know, she'll send it out. And uh, I hadn't done anything, so she reached out. Hey, do you have anything? And I, so I sent her for chapter 16. And she goes, um, I think we just finished 13. I don't think we're at 16. And, but what happens for me, I like to read ahead because you, that's how you know context, right? The chapter you're studying will make more sense if you read before it and after it. And so I had remembered, I remember reading 16 recently. And so I just, without thinking this morning, went ahead and said 16. I guess that's a sign of old age. You chalk it up as that. Um, some of you relate to that. Others are like, mm, not me, not me, no way. Uh, your time's coming, okay. So let's go ahead and uh, lock into chapter 14 tonight, where we begin a new section which provides really a quick summary view of the kings. And it also covers some of the selected events of the northern and southern kingdoms from 796 B.C. to 735 B.C. Now, when I say it's a new section, I'm talking about chapters 14 and 15. We get this summary statement in 14 and 15. Now, put that in contrast to the previous section, which would be literally 19 chapters that we've studied. It goes all the way back into 1 Kings chapter 17, all the way up to 2 Kings chapter 13. And in the, that period of time, you're talking a 90-year period of time that took place. Uh, and there's a concentration on the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, okay, during the final 65 years of that period. And, and, and then you come to these two chapters, 14 and 15, uh, which cover a span of 62 years. That's why I say it's a summary statement. These two chapters are a summary. They cover 62 years. All of 19 chapters prior only cover uh, 90 some odd years, 90 years. So, kind of gives you a little perspective on, and remember this about both Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings. Everything in, the, in these books is not necessarily chronological. A lot of times it's, it's event-driven. There are certain events that are, that are focused upon, and they don't all find, you know, follow in succession necessarily. Well, that's what you're going to see, and that's what we're facing even tonight. So at the end of this last section uh, of the 19 chapters, uh, or not, yeah, the 19, chapter, 19 chapters, we saw really a glimmer of hope because it appeared that the worship of Baal had been officially, in terms of a public broadcast, it had been ended, uh, both in Judah and in Israel. And, uh, and the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem had been repaired. Remember that from chapter 12? Uh, the, the, the public denouncing of Baal worship was in chapter 11 and chapter 10. And then the temple being restored was in chapter 12, which we studied already. And then this, this Syrian threat that came in, 
to Israel. Um, it was overcome last chapter. We talked about that. So it would almost give you the sense that, that things are moving in the right direction. There, there's hope for both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. However, these two chapters are going to reveal that the fundamental problems that still remain through those chapters of recovery are still there in, that, in this day, in the day that we're reading. Okay? So, uh, if we want to know what those issues were, first of all, it was false religion. False religion existed. It was established by Jeroboam I, and it continued in Israel even with the change of royal families. Secondly, another major issue that was going on still was the high places were not torn down. We talked about that last week, and we've mentioned it many weeks in a row. Uh, and that would be over Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, even though there were good kings in Judah, they did not completely wipe out those high places. So while there seems to be this glimmer of hope going on, which is good, yet some of these fundamental foundational problems of sin still existed in both the northern and the southern kingdom. Now we begin this survey of the kings that are mentioned here in chapter 14 of 2 Kings. And it starts with Amaziah, who becomes the king over Judah. So let's pick up at verse 1. In the second year of Joash, the son of Joaz, king of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, okay, in the second year of his reign, Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, he began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. Can you imagine a 25-year-old being the president of the United States, okay? Can you imagine an 80-year-old being the president of the United States? I've, okay, anyway, I went too far there. That was Greg. That was not Scripture. That was not the Lord, okay? So, um, so, so you have this young guy who becomes the king, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan, uh, of, Jer of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like David his father. Now, when it says father, it doesn't mean literally his father. That was not his father. Joash was his father, and it says that in the next verse. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did in all things as Joash his father had done. But the high places were not removed. So, Joash did bring a sense of revival to, to, uh, to Judah, but he also allowed those high places to remain with sons just like him. And the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. So Amaziah, the son of this reformer, Joash, continues in the general direction of upholding the principles of God uh, that, that his father started. That's good. And then it says, again, let me go back to verse 3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like David his father. Let's talk about that. David was the standard for the kings, the human kings. Remember, it was Saul that the people chose to be king, or they, they, they wanted a king like the other nations, who they could march out in front of the army and be proud of, and that other nations would see that. And so God said, okay, we'll get Saul for him, because that's the guy that, that they would like. 
And then, but that God already had a choice, and that was David. David was the Lord's choice because he was a man after God's own heart. And so David is the standard. He's the unswerving, faithful steward of the Lord. He was faithful in his worship of God. David did not worship false gods, okay? So, so when it says that Amaziah didn't follow the Lord like his father David, it's actually referring to a couple things. Let me tell you what those are, and we've kind of covered them already. But number one, like his father Joash, he didn't remove the high places. And number two, in, he, was, he had a disregard for the Mosaic law for where you are to worship the Lord. You worship the Lord at the temple. Now, before there was a temple, then God allowed them to worship at the high places. But they weren't to worship pagan gods. They worshiped the one true God at the high place. Once the temple was built, tear down the high places, worship at the temple. You worship the Lord at the temple. Take your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12. I do like, because I think this is a Bible study class, and not just me getting up and sharing my thoughts, but really letting the Word speak, we should turn to different passages when they fit appropriately and let the Bible kind of uh, affirm the Bible and defend the Bible. So Deuteronomy chapter 12, let's pick up at verse 2. Deuteronomy 12, 2. This is the law of the Lord given... This is called the Mosaic Law, okay? And it says, You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. So any tall tree, a live tree that's tall, they would set up their, the pagans would worship God, their, their gods under that. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars, and burn their Asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. So, before there was a temple, if you remember, there were several locations where they could worship. The primary location was Shiloh, which was a, a mountain. It was a hill, and it, was, it probably before was a high place, but no longer was it to be used for the worship of false gods. Now it becomes the place for the worship of the one true God until the temple was built. So the, he, he goes on, he says there in verse 6, there you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution that you present, your vows, your offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd out of your flock. So basically, everything you would do if there was a temple, you're going to do in this location that God has chosen, or locations, plural. And so people would go to these places, okay, to worship God. But the one thing they were supposed to do was tear down all of these high places, the, 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 the pillars, the Asherim, all these things that anything that reflected any other God, remove their name, remove anything. I don't want there to be any sign of any other God in your land. So he actually repeats this in, in Deuteronomy 2, he or 12 rather. He repeats it in verse 13. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see. But at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. So, again, another 
You know, anytime the Bible repeats itself, that's em emphasis because it's important. And, and, and of course, Amaziah, so Amaziah allowed people to continue to worship uh, at these high places, even though the temple had been restored. It had been repaired. And so this is not good. And the second thing, uh, I said there's, there's two things. And the second thing is Amaziah embraced the false gods of the Edomites. He himself personally participated in the worship of pagan gods. That's hard to believe. A guy who did some good things, how can you, in one hand, do things that are honoring to God, and on the other hand, do something that's an abomination to God? But that's what he's doing, and I'm just caught. Can't get out. Okay, hang on. I shouldn't have done that. There we go. Okay. I guess I'm a hot mess. Okay, here we go. So, well, I know I've got an ear there. There we go. Uh, so he embraced the false gods of the Edomites. Now turn in Second, Second Chronicles, go to chapter 25, because we get specific things. Remember again, uh, the kings only give us general statements, where the chronicles give us details. So here we see in chapter 25 of 2 Chronicles and verse 14. Okay? Let me just read about three verses here. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 14. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshipped them, making offerings to them. Therefore the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent to him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? You just defeated their people. Why would you choose to worship their God? Their God didn't even help them. And here you are lowering yourself. Verse 16, But as he was speaking, the king said to him, Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop! Now this is Amaziah. Uh, why should you be struck down? The prophet stopped, but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. So the king actually reprimands the man of God. That's how prideful he is, how arrogant he is. And, of course, the prophet, the man of God, had the final word because God spoke. And you're going you're, you're gonna to pay for this. This is going to come back on you. So Amaziah faithfully continued the good policies of his father, but some, but in some of those, he compromises. And he is one of the first kings in Judah that actually worshipped the false gods. Many of those kings that were good allowed people to do it. They didn't wipe out the pillars and the Asherim and, and the high places where worship to Baal took place. But they didn't participate. He did. Okay, now it's interesting here as we look at our at our text. These kings are being measured against the Lord and against David. The Lord is the one true God who is the true King, right? 
But Israel didn't think that was enough. They didn't want God to be king. They wanted a human king. So God gave them David, who's the closest thing to having a heart after God. So guess what the standard is? Each time it starts to talk about one of these kings, it says he was not like, and then it'll make comparisons, and it'll pull out the good king. First of all, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So the first standard, he failed. Or he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He, he was successful in that standard that God set for him. But the second one was David. And periodically we've seen in these kings that it's actually mentioned, David's name is mentioned. Because these are all descendants from David. And so the Lord had a standard. And the standard, the, 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 the true standard was God. The human standard was David. And I just think that's interesting. We should learn from that, that our standard for our Christian living and our righteousness should not be found in our neighbors, me comparing myself to my neighbor. Because human nature is, I'm going to pick the neighbors that I know are less than what I am in the Lord. Is that not true? You're not going to go after the person in the Lord who's ahead of you in terms of what it looks like he's ahead of Nobody knows the heart, right? But, but boy, he he's, or she is really walking close to God. I'm nothing like her. So you don't set your standard to that person. You do set it to other people that are less than the standard, something that you can measure up against. Either way, it's wrong. It's wrong. God is our standard. And how does God reveal his standard to us? The Word of God. That's the measuring stick. This is the litmus test. How we live with the Word of God. Do we live in, in congruency with it? Are we in alignment with it? Are we faithfully trying to live an obedient life? Which, by the way, does not mean, what I just said, all that, doesn't mean that you're perfect. Every one of us falls short. Every one of us falls short. Amen. What a relief, huh? It's not what it means. It means that your pattern of your life is bent towards following God. You're bent towards living out Scripture, being obedient to the Word of God. Does that bending towards God mean that you're never not bend toward that you bend back the other? Of course you do. Your your flesh. You're, you know, Paul talked about carnal Christians. We talked about it Sunday. The carnal Christians in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter three that they're carnal. You should be beyond milk. You should be eating the, the meat of the Word, but you're still babies. You're still fleshly. And here's the deal. If you're a carnal Christian your whole life, where you're just fleshly, then honestly, I don't know that you're saved. Because the Holy Spirit in you, is His job is to conform you to the image of Jesus. And if you're just living at the baseline your whole life, you're not being conformed in any way. There's no fruit coming out of your life. That's a clear indicator you're not saved. That's how you know somebody's saved, by the fruit that they bear. And, and, but, but, but yet, the people who are maturing, who are growing, who are eating from the meat of the Word of God and trying to live up to the meat, they still have moments like this, which are carnal. There's still times where we fall into carnality but then we recover. It's like we, we fail, 
And then we grow, and we fail, and we grow, and we fail, and we grow. But we're moving upward. That, that's really, that's the way, that's just the Christian life. There is none of this. Nobody on earth, Jesus is the only one that did that. Jesus himself. Everybody else? But hopefully we're going in the right direction, amen? Okay. Well, I forget why I was saying all that. No, actually, I don't. Okay. So our standard should not be our neighbor. Our standard is the Lord. And if you want to measure yourself by the Lord, you measure by, your, by His Word. That's your standard. And that shouldn't defeat you. Um, it should encourage you that, that I have the truth. And to the degree that I walk in it, I experience what God wants for me. Notice I didn't say that I'll be successful. You can be obedient to the Word and end up dying a persecution death. Okay, so I, I can't say that it's going to always give you what you want. That's, that's a false doctrine that's being taught in the churches today. But the true doctrine of God is that as I follow His Word, His will will be done through my life. That's what matters. That's what it's all about. And in fact, Romans chapter 8. Okay, that's a passage we all quote a lot, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. But we misunderstand that statement. See, we think if, you know, if I, if I love God, then everything's going to fall in place. I'm going to be a happy camper all the time and never have to face problems in my life. If that's you tonight, that's been your life story, that you've just followed the Lord and everything's just fallen right in place through your whole life, raise your hand. Look around. Not a single hand went up. You answered correctly. Okay? Nobody hits the bullseye all the time. But the encouragement is, I know the standard. And God put His Spirit in me to help me to live up to His standard. But the standard is not my measuring stick for whether I'm saved. I'm going to fall, but I don't lose my salvation. I'm not going to be perfect all the time, but that doesn't bring my salvation into question. It just limits my sanctification, my maturing, my growing. So as I fall, obviously I'm not maturing when I fall, but I mature because I fell if I'm trying to learn from it. I was having lunch today with a member of our church, and that's what he's, he's gone through quite a bit lately physically. And he said, you know, I said, what did you learn through that process? And see, that's where the real rubber meets the road. It's the growth that we get because we failed or because we went through a time of testing and we come out of it stronger than before. Isn't that wonderful? See, that's an encouragement. So that means that even though you have setbacks and trials and temptations and everything else, you can rejoice because God even uses that. And that's what he's saying here. All things work together for good. For whose good? My good? The Lord's good. For those who are called according to my purpose, his purpose. That's why it's His good. Okay? Then verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, 
He also predestined, this is what God predestined for the believer, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That while you're here on earth, after salvation, every day God's trying to conform you by the Holy Spirit to the image of Jesus. Every day. And some days we're a little better than others. Amen? <laughs> but see, because we continue to strive towards that, that's a clear indicator that we're saved. Not because we're perfect in it. Nobody is. But we strive. We, we endure. We keep pressing on. And the Scripture says those who endure to the end will be saved. Meaning that if you're truly saved, you're going to keep striving. You're never going to stop. And that's the mark of a good, that's the mark of a godly person, okay? Now, this, there, there's this onward growth of maturing happening in every believer's life, or, or God desires that it happen. Uh, so we're like, we're like a, get a picture. Sometimes pictures, for me, a picture can help me understand a, a principle or help me understand a, a truth in the Bible. So I want you, as we think about what it looks like, to strive, to keep working towards letting the Spirit of God, not for the sake of salvation, I'm already saved, but for the sake of my personal growth and development and for the sake of others. Because whatever God's work is in me, it's for other people. It's not just for me alone. There is a subjective part of it, and then there's an objective part. And the people are always the object that God's after, right? So, um, think about, because when I was just a boy, uh, my parents... Uh, purchase some property in North Carolina. So we would go up there in the summer and spend a little time. And I just really, so we all look forward to getting up there, you know? And, and so um, I, I loved to fish. And there were creeks. And I would go down to the creek, is what they would say, right? Go down to the creek, and, uh, and there I would see the trout. And the water, obviously, in a creek is flowing in one direction. It never changes direction because the water's coming from the mountain. So it's always flowing downward. And so just sitting there on this huge rock looking at this pool, which was deeper, about six, seven foot deep, but seeing the stream run into it and seeing the stream go out of it and watching the fish. The fish that were in the stream, the rapid waters, when you could see them, they were working hard against the flow of water. They, 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 they were always trying to find food, and they were looking for little nymphs, looking for little, you know, uh, uh, small little flies that would get on the water, and they would, go, they would go through the stream, upstream, and attack. They would wait down and watch things drifting down and go get it, okay? So they're constantly, even when they were still in the water, their tail was doing this the whole time. In order to maintain the position, they had to keep moving. Okay? They're striving. That is the Christian life. We're feeding on the Word of God, but we're living in a fallen world. All around us is trial and trouble, and it's always wanting to carry us downstream, not upstream. Not towards the Lord, but the other direction. And so as Christians, we're constantly, constantly having to strive against it. That's what it looks like. There's only one type of fish in that creek that would flow with the water and just move with the water, the current, at the speed of the current. You know what kind of fish that was? A dead fish. Okay? 
If you're dead in your sin, then you're just going with the flow. But that's not what Paul said. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to what he said. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. It'd be much easier as a sacrifice before God to be a dead sacrifice, because that only happens once. I go lay myself on the altar, they light the fire, and I die, and it's done. That's easy. Happens once. But that's not what Paul said. I'm to be a living sacrifice. I have to die to self continually, all the time. That's hard. He says, be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The worship of God is to strive towards living up to His standard, who is Jesus Christ. Not because that saves me, but because I want to grow. I want to mature in the years that I have on this earth. Then he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. That's the dead fish. Okay? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As I read this, I wash this over my mind. It cleanses me. It strengthens me. It guides me. And my mind, I think differently because of this word. That's what he's saying here. By the, by the, by the, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul is challenging the believer to let the Word of God do its work. And it works in the mind first, not in the heart. Salvation, yes, that's a heart issue. You didn't say. Now, you have to think. You have to understand the gospel to be saved. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives within you, right? But the mind is where we are discerning. That's where we think, where we take the truth of God's Word and we apply it as a filter to everything we see happening in this world. And we're able to navigate through the darkness because we know the truth. So Paul is saying, keep that up. Don't ever stop trying to learn the Word of God so that you can better discern the things in this world. And, that you, and, and the picture of that is, here you are in the stream, swimming up, taking a little fly, going over here, taking a little fly. You're, you're getting little pieces of the Word, but you're striving. You're not going with the flow. You don't fit the flow. You've been changed. Amen? I love that. I love that. Well, let's go back to our text. That's enough of that. Romans chapter... Or Romans. Uh, back in our text in, in, uh, in 2 Kings. Verse 5, and as soon as the royal power was firmly in Amaziah's hand, he, he struck down his servants who had struck down the, the king, his father. But he did not put to death the children of the murderers, according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, where the Lord commanded, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers but each one shall die for his own sin. I think in Ezekiel it says, the, the, the father shall not suffer the sins of the son, neither shall the son suffer the sins of the father. Uh, each one will bear their own sin. And here it is saying it in, in Deuteronomy as well. Uh, that's what he's quoting from the book of the law of Moses. So he did exactly what God had said. 
first of all, it was very common for the kings to take out those who, who had murdered the prior king, especially when it was your dad, okay? Because they could come after you, they could turn on you too. And you never want to allow that kind of a influence to remain in the nation because that means that the nation is ruled by upheaval. You have to bring order. So you got you to deal very strongly against those who took matters in their own hands. That's what he did. But he didn't take out the murderer's children, the assassinator's children, their families, which is what kings normally did. Because guaranteed, when that child grows up, He's going to remember what you did to his dad, and he's going to come after you. But the Bible actually taught in the law of Moses, don't do it. Don't take out the children for the sins of the father. So to follow the Lord, sometimes you have to go against the flow, which most kings would, would have killed the children, the offspring, but he followed the word of God. And in following God's word, sometimes, church, it is risky. It places you at risk. By him letting those kids live, it placed him at risk. Now, you say, no, not really, because he's obeying God. God will protect him, and I agree. In this case, he turns away from the Lord later in his, king, in his reign, and he's murdered. It does not, we don't know who murdered him. Um, some scholars believe he was murdered by the offspring of those that he murdered. But we don't know that. Now, if that's possible, is it plausible? Yes. It could be that God knew that he would turn away. Well, God does know everything, right? There's no surprises to God. And knowing that he did turn away and God allowed for those children to rise up as adults and take him out. We don't know. But we don't know that that's true, okay? So, so this was in the best interest of Amaziah to take out the murderers of his dad. Uh, Genesis chapter 9, let me just read it for you, but write it down. Genesis 9, 5, and 6. Genesis chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood by man, of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. This is the Bible telling you that capital punishment is right. This is what God is saying in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, so he didn't strike down the children, as the Bible said, and he's having to lean on God. Hopefully he continues. Well, he doesn't. We're going to look at that. Okay, verse 7. He struck down 10,000 Edom because he obeyed the Lord. And he did what the Lord told him to do by taking out the murderers, but not their children. Now he goes up against uh, Edom, and he struck down 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by storm and called it Jotphiel, which is its name to this day. So the Lord gives him strength and gives him favor and victory. And he goes out and he takes out uh, the Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by storm. So here we, we get a small picture of the military acumen of Amaziah. 
He, he, he is a good military commander. He successfully subdued the weaker nations surrounding Judah, but it was because the Lord gave him victory in battle. Okay? Now, some believe Selah, the S-E-L-A, to be the ancient rock city in the desert, which is also known by the name Petra, okay? Which would have been a strongly, uh, uh, it's a fortress. To, to get into to there, uh, there really isn't an easy way in. Um, it's, a, it's a great place to defend your people. But he was able to get in. So that again tells you that this guy knows what he's doing when he's in battle, okay? So that's a significant victory for Amaziah. Now, let me give you more of the story. Like, like remember, remember uh, what was his name? See, I knew that you guys would jump all over that. And remember, he'd say, let me tell you the rest of the story. Okay, let me, let me give it to you. Turn in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. Let's pick up at verse 5. 2 Chronicles 25, 5. I'll give you a second to get there. Gives me time to take a drink of water. By the way, don't you appreciate all that our hospitality team does on Wednesday nights to provide food and beverage? And they just take care of us. And I'm so thankful for each of them. So, let's read from chapter 25, 2 Chronicles, verse 5. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and set them by fathers' houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. So, he's really laying out his army. He mustered those 20 years old and upward and found that they were 300,000 choice men, okay? Fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. Then... He hired also a hundred thousand mighty men of valor from Israel, the northern kingdom, for a hundred talents of silver. So these are mercenaries. So he has his army that he raised up, conscripted, and now he has mercenaries from the northern kingdom coming down. But a man of God came to him and said, so this is one of the prophets of God, who comes to Amaziah and says, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. But go, act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. So God actually came to Amaziah and said, these mercenaries that you've hired, that you paid, you don't need them. And I'm a, right now I'm against Israel. Do not take them with you. If he had taken the extra 100,000 men, you'd think that that would help him in battle. It would have caused defeat because he obeyed the Lord. Look what it says, verse 9. And Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Let it go. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim to go home again. And they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went to the Valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock. 
and they were all dashed to pieces. That's pretty graphic. But then the men of the army whom Amaziah sent home, so we're talking about the mercenaries, not letting them go with him to battle, they then raided the cities of Judah. They went behind his back while he's out fighting against the Edomites, and they go to Judah, and from Samaria to Beth Horon, they struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. Mm. So Amaziah gathered this huge army in Judah to go up against uh, the Edomites, and, and God had his final day. God, he trusted God for the victory over Edom, and then immediately after the victory, his heart turned away from the Lord. Look at verse 14. You'd think coming off of that victory where God provided victory, that he would, be, he would go right back to, to Jerusalem and worship the one true living God. He doesn't. Look at this. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir, the people they just defeated, and set them up as his gods and worshiped them, making offerings to them. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent to him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, Have we made you a royal counselor? Can you imagine that? God sends a man to ask him a question, and while the man's asking the question, he interrupts him. And basically, uh, who made you the royal counsel? Stop! Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped, but he had the final word. I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. Boy, you, you know... That, that's a strong word for us about obeying the Word of God. That when the Scripture speaks clearly to us about a matter in our life that we're trying to make a decision on, and the temptation that we're having, which leads us to maybe uh, go light on truth and get into a shadow or shady place in our decision-making, what you're doing is you're not listening to the counsel of God. And for us to turn and do what the Lord says is so important. And, and he turns away from the man of God. So verse, uh, verse 8, Then Amaziah sent messengers to Johash, the son of Jehoaz, son of Jehu, the king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. So he comes right out of that where he, he corrects and rebukes the man of God, not listening to what God is trying to say to him, he turns right around in his arrogance, in his pride, and he, he, he sends a message to the king of, of Israel and says, hey, let's go to war. Let's go face to face because I just came out of this one victory. Now I'm going to take you out. Let us look one another in the face. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah. Listen to this now. This is good. A thistle on Lebanon sent to, to a cedar on Lebanon. Okay, in other words, you're the thistle, I'm the cedar. And, and you're saying, give your daughter to my son for a wife, and a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. You have indeed struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Be content with your glory and stay at home. For why should you provoke trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? Wow. But Amaziah would not listen 
Man, he didn't listen to God's man. Now he's not listening to the king of the north, who is actually speaking wisdom to him. So Jehoash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. So they're on the territory of the southern kingdom. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. So he's proud from his prior success against the Edomites. Amaziah decides to make war against the northern kingdom of Israel. And God has revealed that, that he was upset with Israel. So he's probably feeling like, I know I can go up against Israel because God, God's not happy with them. Also, uh, uh, I sent their men home. I did what God wanted. Also, uh, those guys on their way home raided my cities. So surely God wants me to go up against him. Only problem is, the Lord didn't tell him that. Now he's assuming, he's being presumptuous, he's assuming that God is with him. There's a big difference between following what the Scripture says and on your own, out of your own head, thinking you know what God wants. And you say, well, what, what does that look like today? Here's what it looks like. Well, the Lord told me. Here's what the Lord told me to do. This is what the Lord said. As if somehow God would rather speak to you in your head than speak to you by His Word. Most people who walk around all the time saying, the Lord said, the Lord told me, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, as if they have this special connection to God. They've got this, this you know, special communication ability with God. Most of those folks, if you ask them to be honest, are you in the Word of God every day studying? No. I don't need to because the Lord speaks to me. There are people that think that. That's crazy talk. Now, I can understand saying I have a strong sense from the Lord that this is what I should do. But let me tell you where my sense comes from. Not my head. Not my ideas. Not my opinion. That strong sense is because I've been in the Word of God and I've learned and come to understand His will in that area of my life. So I have a really strong sense that this is what the Lord wants from me. Does that make sense? That's, a, that's the safe way. Now, a, a way to check yourself is go to people who are ahead of you in the Lord. They have, they have scholarship that you don't have. They've studied the Bible longer. They're faithful to the Word of God. Their life is a godly life. It's one that you can look up to. And ask them. If you think you've heard from the Lord, go ask them. You know what they're going to tell you, first and foremost? Where does it say that in the Bible? What scriptures are you basing that on? And, and they're probably going to follow it up with, I think you need to stop thinking you're hearing God and spend more time with God in His Word and let the Spirit enlighten you and grow you. And when you grow in the Lord, you'll just know. It's, see, it's not like the will of... People ask, What's the, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? As if it's a location, it's a name, it's a person. That's not the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life is revealed here. If you study and know His Word, you know His will because He makes it clear. The rest of that stuff, where you're going to live, where you're going to work, who you're going to marry, um, I fully believe there probably were several girls that I could have married that are godly women that we would have done just fine. 
the Lord allowed me to choose Rini. He was just one of them. And I'm glad I chose Rini and nobody else. But in terms of this idea that there's only one woman on the face of the earth, and I've got to get God's will to know who this woman is. It's crazy talk. Know his word. The more you know his word and understand his nature and his character and his truth and his, his uh, precepts, his policies, his plans, his pr pur purposes, his principles, the more you know that stuff, the more you know his will. Amen. Simple. It's simple. And, and, and that's where we should live. This guy's not willing to listen to any of that. He was presumptuous. He stepped out in front of God. God did tell him to go up against the enemy, the Edomites, and to recover. And he did. God helped him do it. But then he comes right back and out of arrogance, denies the man of God, doesn't listen to his counsel, turns to the king of the north and says, hey, you and I need to get, meet on the battlefield. We're going up against, we're going we're gonna to battle. And the king of the north is like, okay, let me try to help him with some wisdom. You understand that right now you're a thistle and I'm a cedar. And there's a pretty big difference between the two. But to fully understand just how different we are, if a wild beast, a lion, walks through, or an elephant walks through the forest, he can trample over the, the, the thistle, the twig. And that's what you are. You're a twig. A wild animal can just take you out. But he can't do that to a cedar. He's trying to help him. But he's also probably provoking a little bit, you know? And so this guy, this little, this little twig, well, I'm going after you anyway. And he goes down hard and big. But here's the biggest thing about this. God is in it. God is bringing judgment against Amaziah for not listening to the counsel that was given him. And the fallout for Judah is severe. We need to hear that as leaders. And when I say leader, I'm not saying you have a title of some company or that you are a leader of some ministry. I include that, but really I'm talking about anybody who's under your influence. You're their leader. If you have influence with them, you're the leader. Could be children, could be grown adult children. You have influence, you're a leader. And the key here that he's teaching, uh, you never want to get away from the Lord in your decision-making because the fallout will fall on your children and their children. It'll fall on the church. The church will suffer if you, if you don't listen to the Lord, if you don't live your life before the Lord, and if you don't follow the Lord's ways. And I think that's what he's really dealing with here. So this is a really powerful scripture verse. Um, in the Old Testament, God spoke to the people by the prophets. That's what Hebrews chapter 1 says, verse 1. But in these latter days, in the days of the New Testament, He spoke by His Son. Well, guess what? We have the things that God wanted recorded of His Son right here. We have the entire inspired Word of God. And so that's what we're trying to live our lives by. Amen? Not by what we think God might do or whatever. Because you could get up in the morning and God say, hey, why don't you have a, okay, why don't you, his word, I think the Lord's telling me to eat an orange today. Okay, well, you might be right, you might be wrong, but you eat it. And the next day you get up, Lord, what should I eat today? Have an orange. Oh, okay, good. I'll have another orange. The third day, 
Lord, what do you have another orange? Oh, I'm going to have an orange. The fourth day, I get up and just have an orange. I have a miserable day. Doesn't taste good in the mouth and it sours in the stomach. What's going on in my life? And the Lord says, did I tell you to eat the orange today? You presumed that based on what I said prior is what I want you to do now. The same is true with truth. Just because it's true doesn't mean that everything you know to be true, you have to act on in public or act on in, in one particular way. God, like for example, if, if people come against you, they betray you, the natural tendency is to defend yourself because you know you're in the right. You know that there's truth in what you're saying. And God says, I didn't tell you to go defend yourself against them. You don't need to defend yourself. I'll, I'm your defender. You just need to stay in my shadow and let me teach you what I want to teach you right now. You see the difference? So just because you know truth doesn't mean God's in it, that he's wanting you to do something that you think you want to do. Back off. Let God lead. Let God, let God be God. And this is what Amaziah did not do. Verse 13, And Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and came to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits. Wow. So not only, okay, in the battle itself, we skipped over it, but in the battle against uh, Israel, Amaziah was captured. So the first thing he lost by going out on his own, doing his thing, he lost his freedom. The second thing he loses, now they come down to Jerusalem and they take out part of the wall of Jerusalem. And now the people are exposed to any enemy that comes along trying to, to overpower them. And he seized all the gold and silver, all the vessels that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages, and he returned to Samaria. So he took hostages, he took all the gold, the silver, everything that they had. Look at the fallout to Judah because Amaziah acted out of an arrogance rather than out of obedience to God. Okay, this is a picture for you and I to look at. I believe the Bible is trying to teach us that our decisions, when we make poor decisions based on flesh, based on arrogance, based on pride, will come back not only to haunt us and put us in bondage, but it will also affect the people around us, negative consequences to people, okay? this is one, Let me tell you, this is one of the areas, like with raising kids, that I see a lot of parents, Christian parents, make a mistake, okay? They come up with these worldly ways of raising their kids. When I say worldly, here's what I mean. Well, don't ever teach your child. Don't, don't ever say no to your child. That's taught in social sciences, in some circles. And so you've got Christian people who are gaining their, their knowledge of how to raise their children from social science more than from the Word of God. And so little Johnny grows up, and he is a spoiled, rotten brat. And, and you, you, you see him maybe getting ready to walk out towards the road, and you say, Johnny, no. His mother comes out. Does she go after Johnny? No. She looks at you and says, don't ever tell my son no. Wow. Whacked out. My kids heard me say no, and they heard it a lot. And it didn't cripple them. They learned from it. I don't think everything we say to them ought to be negative, that's for sure. But there are times where a strong, stern no is appropriate. Just like a good spanking for my kids was appropriate. I'm not telling you how to, how to uh, discipline your kids, but for me, 
it was a spanking. I was over at Andy and Brenton's last night, you know, with my parents, and we were just enjoying little Wells, John Wade, man, this little guy. And, uh, and we were laughing and talking about uh, spankings. The kids got spankings. I said, Brenton, have you administered each day a spanking for little Wells? You know I'm joking, right? Okay. And uh, Andy said, I remember those spankings. I said, Andy, you might have gotten one. Because Andy and Lauren were two that if you just looked at them disappointed by what they did, it broke them. Now, Mark, hmm, different story. He would hand me the paddle. He'd, she'd say, son, if you do it, if you do, I'm going to spank you. Think, think about what you're, right now, think. He'd walk over and take the paddle off the wall and hand it to her. So then she would say, well, I'll just wait until your dad gets home. No, mommy, no, no, mommy, no. I never spanked any of my children out of anger. I just would never do that. I always was calm, and I, I would explain, and then I would give them a whack or two, maybe up to three on their gluteus maximus. Uh, but it was done in a very controlled fashion. I, I didn't leave scars inside of them or outside of them. That was not the focus. The focus was to discipline. Now, do I think that's the only way to discipline? I do not. And I think there's other ways that parents do, and they're perfectly fine, and it works well. But I think kids need discipline. Amen? Okay. Well, Amaziah is acting like a spoiled brat. He turned away from the man of God, so God said, let me, let me apply a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of discipline here. And so he goes up against the northern kingdom, which, by the way, was small compared in size to Amaziah's army. And the small army took them out. And then all of these things happened, the consequences of disobedience to God, of being a, of being a spiritual brat, and all these things happened that are negative. The, the people were hauled off from Judah into Samaria, held hostage. Okay, they become slaves. Verse 15, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash that he did and his might and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah. Are, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the, kings, uh, of the kings of Israel? And Jehoash slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. Amaziah, the son of Joash, uh, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, uh, king of Israel. Now, the rest of the deeds of Amaziah, are they not written in the book of Chronicles? Okay, same thing. And we, we actually turned there tonight, and we were able to read a little bit of that about Amaziah. Now, uh, verse 23, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of, of, of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, 
Now, why was there none left? Because the Syrians had worked over Israel. I mean, they just worked them over. But the Lord had not said that He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So Jeroboam does evil in the sight of the Lord, but he also does some things that are right by God. And he reorders the revival, and they put principles back in place in the northern kingdom, which are good. But, but his, you know, Jeroboam II was a wicked king. Don't ever misunderstand that. Uh, but it was during his reign, interestingly, give you a, a, another point of interest in terms of the timeline. This is during the time when Amos, when um, uh, uh, Jonah, the prophets, lived. So not only did Jonah go to the Ninevites and preach, but Jonah also spoke to the, the, the people of Israel and to the king of Israel, trying to help them understand you're out of favor with God. You need to turn back to God. So all of this is taking place, okay? Uh, verse 28, now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did and his might, how he fought and how he restored Damascus and Hamath to Judah and Israel, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the king of Israel? And Jeroboam slept with his fathers and the kings of Israel, and Zechariah his son reigned in his place. That's interesting. Zechariah his son reigned in his place. And uh, so now you're talking about Isaiah coming into the picture, okay? Uh, and that's, that's going to come out here pretty quick too. So this is an interesting study where we're able to see what it looks like when we obey God because we know God has spoken clearly and when we presume we know what God's thinking and we go out on our own. And I think there's a big difference between the two and the fallout, the consequences. So hopefully tonight this is something we can take with us. And Isaiah spoke against the people of Israel for what they were doing. Amos, Jonah, even Micah, those minor prophets were part of this. And we're going to see more of that next week. It is interesting that there was a revival that took place, an economic revival. Even though he was a wicked king, he did enough that God blessed him because God saw how Israel suffered under the Syrians. So God's blessing them back, giving them back. The problem is they're taking the blessing of God and they're using it for personal gain and they're not being good to one another. So we'll talk about that next week. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your love. I pray that you'd bless every person that's here tonight. And as they leave, that they would know that they belong to you. There's no question their salvation is secure. If they've come before you confessing sin, repenting of their sin, and believing upon Jesus Christ as the only Savior of this world, but yet we can still fall on a regular basis. It, we have to strive to walk with you, to, to fulfill your will, to do your work here on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.